Well, we have pressed our way through some important passages in Daniel regarding the nations in our Signs of the Times. We looked at the dream of Nebuchadnezzar that was interpreted by Daniel. We looked then at Daniel's uh, version of that same presentation with a little more details and, and uh, a little focus on the end times. Uh, and we reference the fact that Daniel does so um, as really a prophet to the nations as we consider his ministry predominantly to Babylon, Media, Persia, and even um, by his prophecy into, the, into Greece. And so when we look at his ministry, uh, we see it overwhelmingly with reference to uh, the nations. And since we have this information, and uh, he's not so different from us in terms of his curiosity, what captures most of his attention seems to be the very end of times. He wants to understand what is occurring at the very end, the time when the stone not made with human hands does its work of destroying the times of the Gentiles. And hence, a lot of his questions and inquiries into the, the translation or the interpretation, I should say, of his visions focuses in on that last beast and the last portion of time of that last beast. And we saw that in Daniel chapter 7, uh, perhaps, perhaps, throughout verses 23 and following uh, in the interpretive uh, area. We did not cover the last portion of this information because um, in this time period, we are, that's still future to us. We're really looking at what has been fulfilled in prophecy and therefore what should we anticipate in terms of the Lord's coming. That's really the reference to signs of the times. Um, in the past, uh, I would never have said fulfillment of prophecy because I was taught in seminary that there's only one prophetic event for the church to expect, and that was Christ's coming. That was the only thing we're supposed to expect. But obviously, we have looked at extensive prophetic information with regard to Israel that has come about. We are seeing extensive prophetic information about the nations that has come about and is coming about in our day. And so uh, there can be, if, if the imminent return, historical imminent return position is accurate, then there can be no further sign. There should be no signs at all. We should just suddenly, dramatically, out of the blue, um, be raptured with no other evidence that its coming is impending. And uh, so it was really a dishonest study if you believed in the historical position of imminent return to study any idea, any concept of the sign of the times. They usually present it as pre-signs. This needs to happen in order for this to happen in the seven years that they called the tribulation. Or this needs to happen so that this can happen with regard to the temple, mountain, things like that. Um, but I hold firmly that there is much prophetic information here that we should anticipate occurring and has occurred. 
For God has given us a full view of the history of the nations from Daniel's day of Babylon all the way to Christ's coming in his kingdom. There is no prophetic gap here because um, he's not speaking to Israel. And why do I reference that? Because in prophecy we have a principle. And that principle is called a mountaintop view of prophecy. That is that as the Old Testament prophets looked down through history, they saw these certain peaks and they did not see the great expanse of time between them. And so you'll often hear a prophet talk about the coming of Messiah, Jesus, in, uh, for his death and back right up against that with talking about Jesus in his kingdom. And just verses apart from each other. And you say, well, there's a huge gap called the church age between those two. And that is true for many of the prophecies with regard to Israel. Not all of them, as we've already seen in our study, but for many of them. And some of you asked me about that. And uh, yes, there is that in reference to many of the Old Testament prophets with regard to the Messiah and his kingdom. And so they didn't understand a first coming and a second coming. And certainly didn't always differentiate between a catching up of the church and a subsequent coming of the kingdom seven years later. Um, But with Daniel, we have a very different perspective. With Daniel, he's not talking to Israel. He's not talking really about Israel other than the fact that all of these nations have this in common, and that is that they ruled and reigned over the promised land, Israel. And certainly that's tucked into Daniel a little bit in his uh, intercessory prayer for his people that that is recorded for us. But uh, by and large, Daniel's visions that God gave him were about the nations. And therefore, there was no reason to give this great gap in the prophetic uh, plan. Now, remember, we're talking about large brush strokes. And so he's not given a lot of specificity at particularly as it gets farther and farther away from him. In fact, they seem to almost meld into one. And so uh, the information we have about the nearer kingdoms to him, Media, Persia, uh, the uh, Babylonians, of course, Media, Persia, and Greece, and even, uh, even the early Roman period, we have very little information, but we have a lot of information about the Media, Persia, and the Greek Empire uh, to the point that we can set dates. We can go right through um, a couple of chapters, in fact, in my uh, Bible, I get to chapter 11, and that vision, I have a series of dates and names. And uh, we can go right through that chapter and historically get every precise detail and date, specific battles even, certain kings and queens, and I have them written down here. We know that this is a reference to Ptolemy, this is a reference to the Seleucids, this is a re- reference to So we can go right through here and identify even the very marriages that it's referring to. And so the nearer at hand, the nearer at hand, the more detail he has, the farther the event gets away from him, the less detail we have, but they're still referenced. And so as we get to the Roman period, that's really stretched all the way out to Christ's coming. Um, But we know from the first vision that that period is one of fracturing, that the Roman Empire is going to be fractured, it's going to be divided in half, it's going to be divided into tents, it's going to be uh, mixed in, and even the divisions are going to be uh, impure, and that there's going to be this uh, incohesiveness to them as nations. You're not going to really identify them with each other. 
Um, and then we saw, of course, this rise of the final nation on earth that was described, uh, its rise to, to a power and how it happened and what uh, characteristics we should have looked for. We're going to extend that now and uh, look at the uh, couple other passages, one other passage in Habakkuk and then in, into Revelation. Uh, we looked at its rise to power its distinction that it's going to be different from its predecessors. So in, in Daniel, one of the things I didn't really talk about a lot was how different it will be. It will be a nation that will not be built like nor look like its predecessors. It will be unique in its form of government. It will, it will be original as much as things can be original in this, in this world. Um, and so we talk about it being different, different, different from it's even the ones that it was born out of, the three nations that it was derived from, that it supplanted, it will be different from them. Um, and we looked at verse 25 of Daniel 7, where we found it speaking pompous words against the Most High. We found it wearing out the saints of the Most High. And we saw it intending to change the times and law, which we referenced to the mysteries of the universe that are in God's control. And we look back into uh, other passages of Scripture to, to refer to that. And so we find nation that is involved in this activity given this origination. And that is the one that will be destroyed by Christ personally. And no other enemy will be able to have victory over it. doesn't mean there won't be conflict with regards to it. There certainly will be. And that's evident from Daniel's other visions, there will be certainly conflict involved, um, but it will not be of the nature of, that will bring it to its demise. And so we find that throughout Daniel. Uh, there is some references to Daniel as well that we can go further into, but in the focus of this study on end times and what we can verify, uh, that is what can we point to and say, that is prophecy fulfilled, that means we are this much closer to Christ's coming, um, and that we can anticipate it now um, within a certain time frame, not a specific date, but within a generation or so. Uh, that's what we're looking for. Okay? And so now out of Daniel, we're going to look at really one other passage that we studied not too very long ago, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it in Habakkuk. And we studied that in our study of the Minor Prophets, and so I'm just going to reference it very quickly. Um, this is perhaps one of the only other ones that, that goes to speak to a final nation. And it gives us some further clues to identify them, that nation, in addition to what is in Daniel. How do I know this is far in the future? Because in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, um, God tells him so. Write this vision, make it plain on tablets that he, who, that he may run who reads it. And so it's some fearful things we're going to hear. But who's it for? For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Um, and so we're going to give some information about the end. And this is not with reference necessarily to Israel, because Habakkuk has asked a very strange question. And his question is, God, I want to know something about the nations. He said that at the end of chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, Shall they therefore empty their net counting 
and continue to slay nations without pity. And I'll stand my watch. And so he asks a question about the nations. And so God is going to give Habakkuk information about what he's asked. He's asked a question about the nations. And God takes him on a fast forward and say, listen, I'm going to give you a vision. This vision has nothing to do with your time. In fact, many people are going to discount it and say, it's a foolish vision. It's not true. But if you will wait and one generation will see it happen. And once they see it happen, they'll say, wow. It's true. And here is something spoken so many centuries ago that is speaking to us, and we look at it, and we can identify it. And so we are to wait for this. And the, and the idea is that once we see this, we should have a sense of anticipation that Israel is going to have to run for its life. And that's really the what verse 2 is talking about. When you... When, when you See this happening, uh, that he may run who reads it. Because you know things are going to go bad fast and furiously, and it's time for you to um, hide uh, and to just survive this period of time. But he's going to identify this proud one, and, and he's going to personify. We're going to find first-person uh, words here, and don't let that throw you. He is not talking about a person, but a nation. And the interpreters here, uh, I'm sorry, not the, the translators here have done some interpretation work for us. And because it has been so difficult uh, to translate, because we haven't looked for a nation, we've looked for this person, yet it's certainly answering a question about the nations. And so we come to this and it says, we're looking for a proud nation, verse 4. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so we find that it's going to be the believers are going to be involved in this. There's going to be a, a population within this nation that are upright, but the population itself, and its very heart of hearts, really is not. And we find verse 5, this reference, indeed, because he transgresses, uh, and we have a translation here of by wine, but probably for some of you, you have some a marginal note. I don't have that, but some newer versions do have it. Also say it could be by wealth. And I would prefer that translation, um, that he is proud and he is transgressing by his wealth. Uh, he does not stay at home. He seeks to enlarge his desire as Sheol, or hell. Um, he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. And so here is a nation that is transgressing essentially by his wealth. Um, he doesn't stay at home. That means that he doesn't just concern himself with his own interests, but he is always meddling in the interests of other nations. He is out there engaging them, not necessarily in a warfare, because it says that he is kind of trying to draw them to himself, to his way of doing things. He gathers to himself all the nations and heap up for himself all peoples. Uh, a reference to a melting pot kind of nation that is seeking by meddling in other nations to oppose its will, its interests, its philosophy upon them. And because of its powerful wealth, it is able to do that. And he does it in a very proud fashion, making certain assumptions that its way of doing government and doing things um, is the right way. Because after all, if you're the wealthy, you must be doing things right. Where do you hear that? Well, all over the world. You know, it's not just an American philosophy. It's a philosophy that's shared in many cultures that if you're wealthy, you must be doing things right. 
And so we, we have this, this imposition of this nation's uh, desire, if you will, that just seems to have no end. But not only does it has no end in terms of imposing itself and gathering the nations to itself and to its way of doing it, but we also find out something else about its people. So we're looking for a nation in verse 6 that has this proverb against it. And here's the proverb. It starts in the middle of verse 6. Woe to him who increases what is not his. And the question is, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppressed you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. And again, he goes on, verse 9, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house and may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. And we're going to talk about that verse in a little bit. But if you recall, when we went through this passage, we have this description of a nation that is never satisfied. He loads himself up with many pledges. He increases, but it's not really his. He keeps wanting more and more and more and more. And what is he doing in these verses? What are verse 6 and 7 describing? They're describing a nation that is engaging itself in such consumerism that it is going into enormous debt. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It just And it's consuming. It's consuming everything. It's plundered the nations. The wealth of the nations is really at its disposal. And right now, we stand as the only nation on earth that really is in that category. Great Britain served us that way uh, as our uh, national predecessor. And so I've combined those in, uh, in Anglo-America. Uh, we, we have born the wealth of the nations here. It all comes here. If anyone wants to succeed among the other nations, what they need to do is get an export contract to send stuff where? Where do they want to sell their goods? They want to sell them here. Why? Because we are foolish consumers that don't know when to say no. We don't. We charge it. <laughs> and, and if that's not bad enough, our government is willing to charge it. And we are in the enviable position or unenviable position of being able to print our own money because we are the world's currency. And so we're able to print this money and print this money and print this money, but we aren't really printing any of it. And we haven't been for a hundred years. And by the way, um, the anniversary is of that hundred years. It's actually been 99 years this Christmas Eve. It will be Christmas Eve of 2013. It will be the hundredth year anniversary of our nation giving up its constitutional right to print its own money. We gave that up and sent it to, a, to, a, to the Federal Reserve, which is a private corporation. And so... They're printing the money that we are spending. It's not really our money. It's their money. You might say, well, who is this Federal Reserve that's printing all this money that we're spending? Um, and if you notice, if I said QE1 and QE2 and QE3, does that mean anything to you? How many of you does that mean something? You think it's a boat? I'm not referring to a boat. Okay. What am I referring to? QE 1, 2, and 3. It's happened in the last two years. And it is your economy at work. How many of you have ever heard of those terms? How many of you know what it refers to? Same people. 
Okay? It's what the Federal Reserve has done to prop up our economy. It's called, the first one was QE, then there was QE2, and then QE3. And what that was was, qual, what is it? Not qualitative. Quantitative easing. Doesn't, isn't that a fancy term? Quantitative means an amount. We're going to provide you some breathing space by giving you more. Just what we needed was more. Quantity, how many quantities of this do you want? How much? So it's much, giving much to ease. What are we easing? We're e trying to ease this recession. And so here's what the Federal Reserve decided to do is that since China stopped buying our debt, and yes, they have stopped. Everybody was afraid of China. China, China, China owns, what, less than 20% of our debt. And nobody ever talks about the ones who own the majority of our debt. So the Federal Reserve said, QE1, we will buy an X, what is it, trillion dollars or X amount of debt. We will buy this much debt so your country can continue to function. And then quantitative easing two came along and they bought another quantity of debt that the Federal Reserve would buy money that it printed. Okay, So it prints money, lends it to the United States, and then the United States uses the money that the Federal Reserve prints to pay the Federal Reserve interest. And the Federal Reserve is making record profits for the last three years running. Enormous profits. They are simply swallowing up financially our country. Well, now this summer, uh, in fact, it was just a month or two ago, QE3 came out, and some people are calling it QE Eternal. Because what the Federal Reserve promised was that we will not stop buying up the debt of this country, so everyone relax. We will assure you that you will continue to have unlimited funds available to you. What does that sound like? Habakkuk chapter 2. We're just going to give you and give you and give you and give you. And then in verse 7, after all this, after we load ourselves with many pledges, with much debt, when we load ourselves with all of this, in verse 6, we are going to, our creditors will rise up suddenly. And then we suddenly find out that they're, they're ones that are going to oppress us, and you will belong to them. Essentially, we have been functioning for 100 years, and now, in this day and age, they have risen up and say, we will save you, but you're going to have to remember something, you belong to us. And we do. Well, what's the response? What do we do when we recognize, boy, we're in deep, deep trouble? What? I don't know about you, but when I stop being able to pay my bills, when I am... You know, when, when I'm losing my house, when, when my car is getting repossessed, when I don't have money to pay the bills, when I don't have a place to live, I start to evaluate my life and to figure out, well, I gotta do something. But no, instead, this is what we do. We covet evil gain for a house, set up a nest on high, verse 9 is where I'm reading, by the way, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. Instead of do it, taking corrective action, what this nation is going to do is just sit itself up on high and say, 
none of that is going to touch me. None of the economic disaster that should hit someone who is in this kind of debt is going to touch me. And when they are in that condition, when they are there, then it says, verse 10, you shall... You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many people, sin against your soul. The stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a house, a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And it goes on to describe more aspects of this. And uh, we find this condition economically that's only going to be concluded by the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth like the sea. And that has to refer to the Christ coming. The only solution to this is Christ coming. We should not anticipate, first of all, that there's going to be this, this great economic collapse, rather this great economic propping up And in ignorance, people thinking they can keep living that way with no consequences, but that consequence is that you are owned by someone else. And you must do their bidding. And I would contend with you that it doesn't matter who becomes president this term, he doesn't run the country. I assure you, our president does not run this country anymore and hasn't for a while. And there's nothing against... Uh, President Obama, um, I think it stretches well before him. And so people say, well, do you have a choice? You really don't because both candidates being put forth are in somebody's pocket because the whole nation is in somebody's pocket and we put ourselves there by exorbitant spending that never ended. And the Bible says that's the nation to watch out for. That's the nation to set your uh, eyes on. And then one other indication of that nation is in verse 18, um, where, I'm sorry, verse 19. Well, verse 18 talks about carving idols. And when we make a molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should uh, trust in it to make mute idols. Then he says in verse 19, woe to him. And again, here's these woe to's. They tell you, this is the bad guy, this is the bad ones, this is the country. Woe to him who says to wood, wake, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. And so we have a prophecy from several thousands years ago telling us, watch out when inanimate things talk. When they have breath, or I should say, when they teach, but they don't have breath in them. So these are inanimate objects that are made to talk and to teach. And it says when we, that people who makes inanimate objects come to life, awake, teach. When you see that, woe to that nation. That is the last nation. That one that makes inanimate objects come to life and speak. And again, we did that. We have done that. And you take it for granted. Completely for granted. And then we are confirmed, verse 20, Behold, the Lord is in His holy temple. And that takes us right into Revelation 
with the reference to the temple of God at the end times of His coming judgment. And so all the earth has to keep silence before Him. So that's Habakkuk chapter 2. Let's jump now with those two descriptions. Let's jump to Revelation 13. We're not going to handle all of what's in Revelation 13, but I just want to handle those two areas of signs of the times, of the economics and of the description of talking images. Uh, What we find is a consistency in Scripture, and we shouldn't have to stretch ourselves and press ourselves uh, and twist and warp ourselves to find its fulfillment. It should be obvious. We're looking for the elephants in the room. Okay, We're not trying to nitpick little prophecies. We're looking for big things because these are large, excuse me, large brush strokes. So in Revelation chapter 13, we're again given a vision of nations. We'll spend a, most of all of our time next week on this again, but I'm going to jump into, uh, remember the beast and Daniel are always empires. Um, we now come to a beast here, two beasts actually, but I want to jump to the second beast in verse 11. Uh, of chapter 12, uh, 13 of Revelation. Revelation 13, 11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, which is different. Every other beast came out of the seas. Remember, this is a different one. He had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. We're talking about all this next week more. He exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence, caused the earth and those who dwell in to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs. And we're going to talk about some of those signs. But I want to jump down to one of those signs, and that's in verse 15. Among the signs listed is that uh, he was going to be granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. The image is introduced in verse 14. It says, He tells those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. An image is any kind of picture or representation of, of uh, something. And so it couldn't be a carving. It could be any facsimile. Uh, is really the word. The, the Greek word here would be translate facsimile in our day and age. Anything that would be an accurate representation of the original. And what we find is that they're going to make it. And so it's going to be an image, unique, different, new kind of image. But then something's going to happen to it. And in verse 15, that which is going to happen to that image is it's going to be given breath that the image should both speak. And so now we have talking images, which again, we are very comfortable with in our day, aren't we? Very comfortable with. And so we're looking for an entity that is going to design a new kind of picture or images, and then in the development of that, it's going to give it the breath to speak, and then... Pretty soon, it's going to give so much power that people can't live without it. They'll be forced to use it, or they will not be able to really to function. And again, correlated almost identically by certain key words to Habakkuk chapter 2, this entity uh, has come to be. And we have had talking images for nearly a hundred years. And we look at where was it originated? Where did they come from? Where are they derived from? Well, derived from this nation. So among all the signs and wonders we'll still look for for the final nation on earth that's going to be the end of the times of the Gentiles, we're looking for a nation that gives breath or speech 
to inanimate image that not only teaches, but it has such incredible influence that it commands attention. And we live in that day where our culture and the cultures of many other countries, the culture of the world, is being integrated by a very small group of people who have control over media, not just media in terms of news media. You think the news media is, they don't really have as much influence as you think. Um, They are weak compared to the influence of the entertainment media. Frankly, uh, most people are more attentive to their entertainment than the news. Uh, Judging by this room, so are you. Because you don't know what QE 1, 2, and 3 were until tonight. Which means you haven't been watching CNN every day. Or Fox News every day. And you haven't been reading the paper about QE. And so entertainment is what's fashioning our mores and our values and our belief systems are being driven by entertainment, not by the news media. So when I say media, I'm not just referring to the liberal news people. Um, I'm talking about your entertainment. And it's compelling. If you don't know how compelling it is, I would challenge you to um, do some experimenting. I've done it. I've done experimenting on my own family. They didn't know it very much, but I did it. And I've done experimenting on other people. Um, And when I walk into a room and no matter what activity is going on, if it's in the adjacent room and I turn on the TV, they just kind of migrate right into there. Okay? My child can say, no, Dad, I can't go do that. They don't say, Pastor. Um, No, Dad, I can't do that. i got homework to do. And I'll say, okay, I'll see you later. And I'll turn on the TV in about six minutes. The homework got done. It was miraculous. Does that happen in your houses, guys with teens? TV comes on. There they are, right in front of it. I want to go do this, and they're going to do that. And I'll say, okay, I'm just going to watch this TV show. And zoom, there they are. And you know what? I'm just as guilty. Because I'll be downstairs working on something. They'll say, we're going to watch this show. I'll say, I'll be right up. Don't start it without me. What power talking images have in our day? They define us. They homogenize our culture against God. And the Bible says, woe to them. That's the time to fear some things if you're Israel. It's time to expect some things if you're the church. You can fear what the world is about to turn against, but you can also be expectant of what Christ is going to be involved in. And so in the midst of this, we have this this statement that reversed for us from Habakkuk. First, we're going to talk about the talk images, and then he talks about verses 16, 17, about the economic impact that this nation is able to have, not just on their own people, but on the whole world, that he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand and foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And it describes that to calculate that out in reference to 666. And everyone says that's the number of the Antichrist because we have misassigned the beast in Revelation 13 to a man instead of a nation. This is a nation's number. And I have proposed before and I continue to hold that this is what IBM created for us. 
you did know that barcodes come from IBM. They are the ones who designed those, and they are implemented globally. We have a global economy today um, because all the computers are keyed to the same information uh, globally to track and control and affect the buying and selling of goods. Bible says when that, when you see that, you know you've got your finger on the last nation on earth, that it is in place. And when you see all of these fulfilled, and the others we're going to look at next week, um, be ready. Because that generation that sees all these things, and by the way, how long have, have I talked about talking pictures being around for almost 100 years now. How long have Barco's been around? How many of you remember when there weren't any? Okay. Within my lifetime, they came around. IBM created them. They've been around actually quite a long time. I think they were designed in the 50s. But they weren't implemented widely until really the late 70s uh, before they were widely implemented and scanners were really used. But we are in a time period where we have no problem doing our, our buying and selling digitally. In fact, I would contend that most of us are buying and selling digitally and we prefer it that way, which means we're using debit cards, we're using most of our banking online, that we are seldom seeing cash, that we're using direct deposit, and that we're then using credit cards or debit cards, and we are hardly ever handling cash. Um, people are amazed at how much cash I carry around because I don't like using those. I don't use ATM cards. I don't use debit cards. I rarely use uh, credit cards, usually when I'm buying fuel because I don't want to walk into the thing because I'm really lazy, um, and it shows. <sighs> but uh, we do things digitally, and, and I continue to smile because when I engage some of our young people, young adults, they have no cash in their wallets. I go, how can you walk around no cash in your wallet at all? Well, I have my card, and I got my numbers, and I have my codes, we're totally digitalized in our uh, market of how we buy and sell. And the Bible says when that happens, and it comes to the point you almost, there are some things that you cannot buy or sell without a number. When that happens, recognize it and say, the Lord is near at the door. Be ready. Be ready. And that is really the theme of this kind of study is, are we ready? And how far are we down this road? Well, if this stuff has been around for 100 years, some of it, 50 years, 60 years for some of it, and we're going to see others of it that have been fulfilled uh, well in the past. But in terms of the economic condition that Habakkuk specifically references, we are in it now. This that you are experiencing is that. And uh, I don't know if you, think a, if you think trillions of dollars in debt a year is not an elephant in the room, but the Bible seems to think so. It's an elephant. It is unprecedented. And the Bible says when you see that condition and people still living this consumer lifestyle and thinking that it's not ever going to hurt me, it's not going to touch me, I can keep buying and selling, and I can keep consuming, I can keep this debt, I can keep living like I used to live. Uh, and by the way, most Americans didn't reduce their 
lifestyles. They maybe drove a few less miles. They might have tried to pay off a little bit of debt, but most Americans in view of the recession did not dramatically change their lifestyle. They put off a few purchases, but now suddenly they find they can't live without that computer because their computer is now a year and a half old. doesn't work as well anymore. So back to it we go. When we see that, know that the last thing that needs to happen is this nation leading into what will come to its demise. And that's not economics. The economics are just a sign. What will come to its demise is that we'll oppose God's people, specifically Israel, and ultimately it will oppose Christ, and he will personally destroy that nation, that it will not survive Armageddon. The other nations will. They'll still be around for the millennial kingdom. They'll be there at the battle of Gog Magog. But it says one nation God will not allow to survive Armageddon. And that nation is the one described here that will be destroyed by Christ himself. And we see it. It's here. We don't have to imagine what talking pictures means. We're not talking science fiction. We're talking your daily life. We don't have to imagine what insatiable appetite for things and involving ourselves in enormous debt, unprecedented debt means. We are living it. And we're going to see next week some more aspects of that. So we are seeing these fulfilled in our time. How will you then live? We ought to live differently with our sense of urgency about the gospel and a sense of disconnect from the things of this world, that no longer should I be so concerned about my retirement fund, whether it's fully funded. I need to be thinking a little more about what God wants to see me doing when He comes in these days and set about doing it.